The following is a podcast from Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you like maps? I should have known that Dr. Lorenz would put his hand. Um, Now, you probably like paper maps, right? You spread them out all over your desk. Um, But those are not convenient, nor are they the typical maps we use anymore, right? Now the maps usually show up on your little screen and you punch in the address you want to go and you reach your final destination and then it tells you all 37 turns you have to make in order to get to your place, to, to your destination. Now if you like geography, yep, you need a bigger map. Um, I'm still a child of the, U, of the USSR, the Soviet Union. Um, I liked world geography a lot better back then before uh, Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan and all the other stands that now I just have absolutely no idea where they are. So uh, as, as, as maybe not as cool as the Soviet Union was for my map, I appreciated that because it kept it simple. When you follow a map, you go in a lot of different directions and a lot of different places. And as we're tying up Nehemiah today, I couldn't help but think of we went in a lot of different uh, directions. And so I wanted to, knowing that some people might be here for the very first time. I mean, we've been grinding through this since the first weekend of July. And so what I, what I offered here in your service folder was just a, a simple summary of what we have seen, where we have been, and now what does that mean for us as we move forward? Now, there's 13 chapters in the book of Nehemiah, and not every one of them was a part of our series. But as we went, but as we went through the series, I said there's got to be one pivotal verse, there, just one thing that really stuck out and made you realize God's hand was in this, and there was a purpose for moving this across. So our overarching thought is the understanding in Nehemiah that we live the truth that we need God and, and really we need each other. Nehemiah understood that only, only he, would be, he would only be able to accomplish the building of the walls, the reassembling of the temple if he had everybody working alongside of him but only if God was going to bless it and take care of it. And so in our everyday lives, we understand that we're only going to be a success, which is a relative term in our world, but we're only going to have a success is if God is with us and guiding us and directing us where he wants us to go. And what we're doing right now is we're gathering around with a bunch of people who have like minds and who want to learn more from the scriptures, what it is that God has done for us that makes him so special, and we build each other up. We encourage one another. Our journey started with the broken heart of of Nehemiah, understanding that while he was in captivity, that his hometown, the place where his forefathers grew up, was in shambles and in ruins. And his heart was breaking because it was, the thought was God kept, made a promise and said, I'm going to keep this remnant and they're going to be able to return to their homeland one day. 
And so when he, when he heard the reports that everything was in ruins and a shamble, his heart began to break. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Maybe some of you right now are broken. And if it's not today, in the recent past, something that has been at some levels very damaging physically, emotionally, spiritually. Individuals who you trusted did a terrible thing to you, tore you down and broke you down. Perhaps there was that time when things didn't work out after you had prayed and prayed and prayed and Satan whispered in your ear, does God really love you? He must be holding something back from you. And we were shattered. We couldn't understand, God, why would you do this to us? We all come before God at some time in our life broken, but when we're broken, we also come knowing that we will be restored by God's mercy. So what happened? Nehemiah, who had this broken heart, had a plan that we've heard about in chapter 2. As long as God's hand was on it, he was going to move him. Then I prayed. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. This is one I actually preached on in this series when I was just simply filling in. And I focused on that idea that all of this happens in a pretty short time. The king says, I can see something's wrong. Yep, I got a problem. What is it you want? Nehemiah already had the plan. And God blessed the plan and he laid it out in front of him. Send me back so I can rebuild the city. The trust, the confidence that God could provide the necessary healing. That healing that only comes from the one who has his hand in everything and on everything, including each one of us. But as you know, our lives face, in, in our lives, we face opposition all the time. God, uh, the devil himself speaks to us and whispers in our ear, trying to lead us astray. And even though we might be able to fend off Satan, perhaps, then you've got the world, our culture, that piles on and says, um, why would you want to follow this God? What success is he going to grant you? Eat, drink, and be merry. Live and have fun. Throw everything away. And unfortunately, all too often, we listen. Our hearts begin to stray and we wander. We are in opposition to God. I know you give me your word, Lord, but I think I know better. I'm pretty sure that I'm smarter than you and everything's going to work out according to my plan. When we oppose God, we shouldn't expect anything good in return. And yet, God is always faithful to us, even when we are not always faithful to him. That's one of the great comforts, is his unconditional love as he reaches out to us and takes care of us and, and comforts us. And so in spite of the opposition that 
we may have towards him, God continues to call me as an individual, you as an individual, but brings us all together to say we have a place and a purpose on this great big earth. And right now his purpose and his place for us is right here. Hearing God's word, growing in faith first and foremost, growing in the confidence to share this good news, and being generous with one another. Now that doesn't always mean rolling out the dollars. It's the way we support a ministry. But it's also generous with our time and our talents. It's also being generous with lending an ear. It's also gener- it's generosity of showing friendship to those who are broken because you know you've been in that place. You know you've been hurting at different times. What a treasure and what a joy it is to know that we all come together as brothers and sisters, that we have been called to be his very own. The reason we can come together is because God has chosen us before the beginning of the world. Pastor Kelly's farewell sermon, he listed a whole bunch of people in chapter 7. And he reminded us that every single one of us is precious and important in God's sight. No matter where we are, no matter what our status is in this world, no matter how happy or how sad, no matter what street we live on, no matter what kind of car we drive, no matter what team we cheer for, every single one of us has a place in God's kingdom. Through faith we are moved, we have our being, we live for him. So God has chosen us, but we only understand and appreciate what God has done for us when we delve into that word. You see, Nehemiah and his compadre Ezra realized part of the problem was the book of the law. God's word had been neglected for so terribly long. It was the one thing that could bring comfort and hope to his people, but that comfort and hope was missing. And so once the book has been recovered, once it's back out in front of the people, they can't help but share it. Chapter 8. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all of the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now that I'm a campus pastor, I'm not in front of a congregation every single Sunday. Now I kind of am. But um, for the last two years... I had, the, I had the privilege and the opportunity to sit in a pew. After 14 years as a mission pastor, um, I, I preached, oh, probably 51 Sundays. I would always couch my vacations with Sundays. So we'd have church, and then I'd leave at noon on Sunday, and then I'd get back just in time to preach the following Sunday. That's the way I did it most of the time. And usually one Sunday a year, I, I miss, but for the most part it was, I'm the one who gets to stand here and talk to you and pray that the Holy Spirit works in your heart and moves you and changes you. And for the last two years, I've sat in your, in your pews, in your seats, 
And I can't believe how difficult it is to pay attention for 20 straight minutes. You know, this thought of, they listened attentively from daybreak until noon. I'd be like, whoo-wee, can we take a break? I I think I've had enough. I've got all the law and gospel I can handle for one day. Um, Fortunately, as Christians today, we we don't put it in that time frame. But that doesn't mean for this one hour we come together and we're attentive and we listen to it. Because that word is there all the time. What a privilege it is to be given these scriptures. And we don't want to be like the children of Israel who close up that book and put it on the shelf. And yeah, we'll dabble in it. We'll read a meditation or, or we'll listen to it. Um, so many times people now call themselves, well, well, I'm kind of spiritual. Well, where's that spirit coming from? Is it the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm religious. I believe in a bunch of symbols and things. As Christians, we believe in Christ. Now, and in spite of the fact that the children of Israel still haven't had the privilege of meeting that Savior at the time of Nehemiah, we still have roughly 450 years to go, they understood and realized what the promises had to say. The Holy Spirit worked in their heart and changed them and moved them to come to that appreciation. We are going to listen attentively to what God's Word has to say. And when we recognize what our God has done for us, it's going to lead us to confess. To confess all the sins and all the wrongs that we have committed over the course of our lives. We're going to lay it all bare. And confession isn't just about saying I'm sorry. That's easy. I've got kids who are 12 to 18 years old and they have known from little on that when they do something wrong, they should say they're sorry, mainly because their mom or their dad told them to. But that doesn't mean they're not going to go back and do it again because it makes them feel better or because I've got a little grudge or because I want to stick it to my sibling. No, we lay it out there and then we say, Lord, amend my life. Change me. May that Holy Spirit dwell in my heart that leads me not to go back to that pet sin over and over and over again. All of you, I'm guessing, have that one thing that we just have a hard time with if it's telling the truth, if it's some kind of addiction, if it's lashing out, unable to hold our tongue, if we love to gossip. All of those things are laid bare. God knows them. Do we have to verbalize them? No. But when we confess, we are acknowledging our sin. And we're saying, God, we're going, we want to amend our lives because of Christ, what he means to us. Receiving the comfort and the assurance and the peace of forgiveness, well, the prayer would be that this would bring on a revival and a renewal, a a renewal of our spirit. Yes, we're going to move forward boldly and thankfully for what our God has done for us. It's not going to be the same anymore. We're going to lift our voices in praise and thanksgiving. We're going to lift our hearts in service and joy. We're going to give ourselves to God and to others. And we celebrate the gift that has been given to us. The celebration that we gather together for on Easter May that celebration be an everyday occurrence. 
that we go back to the empty tomb every single day and say, thank you, Jesus, for leaving my sins behind. You lived for me. You, you lived the perfect life that I couldn't, and you died. You paid the price so that I wouldn't have to, so that I wouldn't suffer in this life or eternally. You give me hope and joy because of your glorious resurrection. Sin has been atoned for. You hear that term, to atone. Um, I like to break it up. Um, at one, A-T-O-N-E. Because by nature we're object of God's wrath, completely separated from him. But Jesus is that atoning sacrifice, makes us at one with God our Father, reconciles us to himself. says, you are now my own. The revival, the recommitment, the dedication, the celebration. And if we could live in here now for the rest of our lives, and we had food and drink and a place to use the restroom and a place to freshen up and music to be played and, the, and God's word to be read and proclaimed and studied for the rest of our lives, everything would be great, wouldn't it? But unfortunately, that's not the world we live in. Because in roughly a half hour, we'll walk out of these doors and we'll have to face a world that mocks us and ridicules us. Mocks and ridicules our God. Mocks and ridicules our Savior. And we have choices then. We have the choices to jump in and go along for the ride down a destructive path for our bodies and, and potentially for our souls. We can kind of clam up and just kind of let them have their say and, and go on and on. And, and sometimes the situation might, might call for that. Um, but I, I really can't think of too many. We don't have to be a brawler that says, you know what, I stand on the Bible and you guys are stupid for not listening and believing what God's word has to say. Because that's not really winning anyone over with the love of Christ. But what God calls us to be is lights in the world. To recognize that we have been called and that our, book, and that our, that our names are written down in the book of life and we offer ourselves as that fragrant offering on a daily basis. Why is it important that we come here every week? Because there aren't too many other places in the world where you hear the absolution. As a called servant of Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It really isn't every day where you probably get into a, a, a deep, theological discussion about baptism and its merits and what it means for us and how it changes our status and how each night our sins are each day our sins are drowned even in the moment that they take place and that we rise up to live a new and holy life it isn't too often that we talk about Christ's body and blood in with and under the bread and the wine and so here, it's great to talk about those things, but we come here so that we can be re-reformed. Because no doubt, after, they have, after the children of Israel have already said, yes, we rededicate our lives, we confess our sins, 
chapter 13, we find out that Nehemiah has to chastise them. Because what's happened, one of the big issues before was intermarrying with pagan cultures. And they go right back to doing that. And one of the promises, we will not forsake the Sabbath day anymore. And we'll take care of those who serve in God's temple. And they forgot to do that already. It really was the life cycle of Israel. God blesses. The children of Israel start becoming self-reliant. God chastises. The children of Israel realize they're being chastised. They, they confess their sins. They repent and ask God, please forgive us. And God restores us. The book of Nehemiah. The Old Testament children of Israel. Wayne Chevy. I kind of think my story is the same as them. And I'm guessing a lot of you will have to admit the same thing. That God blesses and God takes care of us. And we're on top of the world. Nothing can break us down. Nothing can shatter us. Look at me. Look at what I'm able to accomplish. We fall into that self-righteousness. God, I've got this figured out. But maybe there's that little tweak or that little poke that little sickness, that little disease, that little argument that we lose something or someone precious. We have to go to God and say, I was at fault in these things. I have to go to that individual as well. But I go to God and I realize I don't have this under control. Please forgive me. Restore me. Renew me. Help me to live for you. This cycle was going on forever. Chapter 13, verse 18. Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on the city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When we forget who God is, we're desecrating his name. We're not putting him as that number one priority. We're forgetting the gifts that he has given to us. But where there is that recognition of sins committed, hallelujah, that there is the assurance of sins forgiven. You see, Nehemiah was called on by God to, uh, to be a leader among the children of Israel. And he was there to help them rebuild those walls and in doing so, he might have had to test them and chastise them just a little bit. But Nehemiah also recognized who he was. That he was just as guilty as anybody else. And so as, in, as far as moving forward now in our lives, may we take to heart the words of Nehemiah and how it applies to each one of us. Remember me for this also, my God, for, for being faithful, for, for caring about what your word has to say, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Gracious God, I need your mercy each and every day. It's the only thing that allows me to stand. Without you, I free fall, I die, I perish for eternity. But we move forward fully confident of Christ's love for us and how he changed everything. 
And so the moving ahead from this day forward, we can see what God has in store for us. Jump a little bit to the book of Revelation. Check out chapters 21, 22, the awesomeness that is waiting for us as God reveals his love to us. What does heaven have in store for us? Dear friends, let's move forward boldly and confidently. May our, may our broken hearts be mended. May we see God's hand in everything. When we face opposition, may we stand up for the cause of Christ. May we work together to build the unity of believers, remaining faithful to God's word so that we are renewed and we are revived and we are dedicated each and every day so that finally, when we draw our last breath, that is the start of the greatest celebration of all. When all the struggle and all the pain is gone and death is swallowed up in victory, and eternal life belongs to us. For this great gift, we sing our praises, we thank our God, and we rejoice in the reformation that Christ has caused in us. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with The following is a podcast from Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org.